Well, we have 145, so let's get started. I don't know if anybody else will be coming in. How's everybody doing? Enjoying the conference so far? Oh, yeah. It's been a blessing to listen to the Neheisers and uh, just the blessings of their ministry and the way that they can bring edification to the church body with all the stuff that they've learned in, in the biblical counseling environment, which really is what? It's a discipleship model, isn't it? It's really what it is. We use this term biblical counseling like it's something unique from the Word of God or something that's gone on and that hasn't gone on in Christianity from the very beginning. But from the very beginning, we've been in a discipleship model. Didn't Jesus call us to make disciples and go, go into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So that's our calling. And uh, so that's what we're trying to do here is I guess bring the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of the scriptures to everyday living is the goal, right? It's how do you bring the hay out of the loft and into a place where, where, the, where the farm animals can eat. And that's what we're trying to bring God's word in this high lofty understanding of what it is in our minds to practical theology and how we can live out God's ways in our life. Amen? So... And I really like the theme that, uh, you know, that they talked about, that Joe has got here. It's called Living at Peace in a Warring World, you know. And um, it says here, the folks we counsel are, are also in a spiritual battle. In fact, that is why they, they come. They need someone who understands the different battles that we all face. And we can better equip them so that they can return to the return to their battles encouraged, strengthened, and ready to overcome. Amen? Isn't that the goal of counseling? That's the goal of discipleship. And when I do a lot of uh, counseling, what I see is there's this, in, in the minds and hearts of people, is there's this desire to want to do it, but then they don't finish doing it sometimes. You see, there's a desire to want to change, but then there's this incompletion of it. You know, uh, I've had people tell me, like uh, Galatians 5.17, where it says that the spirit wars against the flesh, and the, the flesh against the spirit. And, well, that's a battle that's going on inside them, right? Well, I've prayed that God's spirit would overcome the flesh. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're not understanding that verse entirely, are you? And, and it's this tension, and this is leading up to what I want to talk about here today, between how much we actually have to do in our responsibility as believers, and what's God's responsibility? What's His responsibility in this whole idea of being more conformed to the image of Christ, to being a Christ-like human being, right? What are we calling ourselves as? We're calling ourselves what? Christians, right? And that's because we're going to be conformed to Christ's image. We're going to be Christ-like people. So how do we do that? And then we have this wonderful helper, right? The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He will come in and convince us of, uh, convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, right? And he will bring to remembrance everything that Jesus taught to, the, to his disciples. And that, that comes to us, too. And he's our helper who is the helper of the same kind. The Greek word is alas. I will send you another helper of the same kind as me. Right? So that's what we have as Christians. And I love the testimonies today. 
my, I was just goosebumps, you know what I mean, of how God's power, you know, the Word of God didn't come in Word only, right? But it came in what? The demonstration of the power of the Gospel of the Holy Spirit in our life. So, what we have on our side is transformation. The idea of not behavior modification, but transformation that by the renewing of our mind, when we have the Holy Spirit through the regeneration, He comes in and dwells in our hearts. We can then bring salvation. Like Pastor Glenn said, what is the greatest tool in, in uh, biblical counseling? What does it do? It's, it's a, an evangelistic opportunity. Because people are worshiping, worshiping someone other than God, which is the creation. And we want them to serve who? The creator. You see, it's that simple. You either serve your flesh or you're going to serve God. We need to walk in the spirit or the flesh. <laughs> All right? I could charge you $100 an hour to tell you that. <laughs> huh? I don't know. Sorry for the cynicism. <laughs> but it's the truth. It's, you know, people say that biblical counseling, you're oversimplified. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think it isn't that hard. It's just demanding. Right? It's, the concepts are not hard. It's just that it's hard for people to believe it's that simple. Now you have to walk in the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Day by day or what? Moment by moment. Not minute by minute. Moment. Because there's 60 seconds in a minute. How many times can you be tempted in 60 seconds? Huh? <laughs> I don't know if you've got a heart like mine, desperately wicked, but uh, that's, that's the truth. And you know, I'm hearing a bunch of amens right now. <laughs> so, moment by moment. So, I've sat with people in the counseling room where they are crying in tears, in agonies of their sins. And then they go out and do the same thing like a dog returning to their vomit. Yeah. Yeah. And then they come back. Now, I know I've never done that. <laughs> so, I, I am only a brother, a fellow sojourner, an alien on this, earth, on this earth, trying to show them where to find the same morsel of bread that I'm going to try to live off of, too. So it's not like I'm this Dr. Von Schwinkelheimer that has all the answers, right? So, but we're just brothers and sisters trying to edify one another and encourage and stimulate one another to good works, right? And uh, so what, what, what it is is how do we then help these people and ourselves in the midst of this? And I chose this concept of fighting by faith for the glory of God, okay? Fighting by faith for the glory of God. And uh, the idea is that we have to... Um, Learn what this battle is about. Learn what, who we're fighting. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And learn how to have enough energy and zeal within our hearts to not tire of what? Doing good. To finish the race. Right? To fight the good fight of faith, the Bible says. Right? You thought this was going to be easy, didn't you? I, I've counseled people where they said, this is hard. I go, now I know you're listening. Because <laughs> Christianity is not, for, not easy, is it? It takes real men and women that have internal fortitude and have desire for the glory of God. That's why I, I like this glory of God idea. Okay? But I chose this, this passage Well, this, in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. It's a theme that God's been put on my heart for a while. 
And I'm just going to read some introductory stuff, and then we'll get into the teaching just to set up, give you a mindset. Okay? So, um, in 2 Timothy, Paul encourages a young Timothy to stir up his gift. And it's one six To replace fear with power, love and sound mind, one seven To not be ashamed of the Lord and to suffer for the gospel, one eight And to hold on to truth, one thirteen and 14. This workshop will teach counselors, disciple makers, how to encourage counselees to fight the good fight of faith in the midst of the most trying times. Because if you say, I can't do that now, I'll get that later, guess what you just missed? The opportunity for the glory of God. You just missed it. It just went right by you because you weren't willing to fight in that moment. You see? In the most trying times, Paul was imprisoned in Rome, feeling lonely and abandoned, knowing his earthly life was coming to an end soon. His last words to Timothy were to encourage him and all believers to persevere in the faith. We will learn what it means to be strong in the grace of God. The goal is fighting by faith to win these battles, thereby glorifying God and sanctifying us, making us holier, um, making us more conformed to the image of Christ, right? And, and when we do counseling... And disciple make. I have a board I usually use, and I, I draw this uh, this line here, point of salvation. Here's heaven, the ultimate uh, sanctification, where we're going to be with the Lord. Along the way, it's just a straight line, isn't it, to heaven? Not really. <laughs> you start off good, and then it's like, oh boy, I'm goofing up. You know, I made a, I'm, I'm sinning, and then you go back up. And the key is to not let the dips go down too far in your in your life and how you're going to live your life. You know, so, so the idea is how do we help people to not dip in that sanctification process? And how do we do that, you see? The source of our strength is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the wonderful counselor. Amen? It is the grace that is in him. It is the grace that is in him. Remember that Paul was facing death. He was to be executed on false charges by the Romans. Timothy was a young pastor who was to, be take, who was to take on Paul's enormous responsibilities when he was gone. That's a daunting idea when you look at the great Apostle Paul, right? He would be responsible for all the churches scattered over the world and responsible for spreading the gospel across the earth. To such a young man, these pressures could have, have a sense of being overwhelming. He was probably asking himself, can I stand up under the pressure? Can I handle all of the, all of the problems, situations, and circumstances that are, going on, that are going to come upon me? Can I handle this stuff? You know, if you start, it's like anything in life, if you start looking at, you know, when, when I counsel people, it's like, if you look at the whole thing that you have to do from A to Z and you try to idealize what that's going to be like, you'll sense an overwhelming task before you. And I tell people just, it's like eating a big roast. You know, in a month, if you eat meat every day, you're going to have a roast that you would have eaten that would be 15 pounds maybe. Okay? Take one bite at a time and, walk, and then you'll digest that meat and you'll digest that meat. So you can't look at things in... in, in from too big of a, with too big of a spectrum. It's good to be aware of a spectrum, 
but you can worry in a spectrum of time, you see? But he could have uh, become overwhelmed uh, with this. Will I be able to endure the hard work, the study, the preaching, the teaching, the praying, and here, the persecution, and the striving necessary for such a task? Will I be able to war in the spirit rather than the flesh? You know, I mean, you guys ever think, about, boy, I don't know if I'm going to be in the spirit of flesh sometimes. You want to have a spirit of self-control, but you know when your f flesh flares up. Am I going to walk in the spirit all the time and be a good testimony, or am I going to be a bad testimony where people see my flesh? You know, that is why Paul encouraged his son in the faith to be strong in the grace of Christ. No human strength could accomplish the overwhelming task before him. So there's a mindset of what, what Timothy was, was going through. This was Paul's last letter, uh, not, this was Paul's last exhortation, written exhortation to him. Some think maybe Timothy went to him and spoke to him again personally one more time. But, um, you know, there's always differing opinions and speculation on some of these things. But, but this was his last exhortation and he was trying to encourage a young, fearful man, young man, in such a way that he was trying to tell him, this is what you're going to need to do, you know. And he's trying to, to encourage him on, on, the, on the things that were going to be necessary. So that's, that's and, and these were his last words. So these were, these were, when you give someone your last words, you know, to some degree, some of the last words anyways, those are pretty sober ideals that come from the heart, you see. So this is what Paul was telling his young disciple, the one that was his son in the faith. Amen? So the question is, with this storyline, with this model that we have before us in, in 2 Timothy, let's try to imagine what are some overwhelming circumstances in our life that would cause us to feel like Timothy probably did. Fearful, unable to handle a task, uh, and, and not enough experience. Anybody have anything in their mind that they could think of that... Uh, you, know, you could shout it out if you want, but there's, there's things that we're going through right now that, that to us seem overwhelming, right? And the idea is, how will we handle those in these last days? Has anybody been concerned about the homosexual agenda? Oh, yeah. All right, and then your friends that look at you because you're a narrow-minded bigot who's a hater, how do you respond to these false accusations, right? Or even the abortion issue, you know? And how will we, do you think we're going to be persecuted? you think we're being persecuted now? Do you think we're going to be more persecuted? Is the church going to be the pillar in support of truth, of what is actually right? Or are we going to cower away and, and not be a voice and be overcome by this? It's already persecution. Who would have thought in the last eight to ten years, five years, that we would be in such a, a compromised position and be able to express ourselves? As a church, will we have the courage to do that? Will we have the courage to do that? When they come to seize your property, when they come to throw you in jail, like Hebrews 11, 31 to 35, something like that talks about. The world was not worthy of those Christians, the Bible says. Right? And they overcame that. They, 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 I have a verse, I wrote the verse down for a later part of the teaching, but... but 
Will we be able to be sawn in two, put in sheep, put in uh, lamb's wool, and, and thrown to lions? Will you do that? If you don't have, I love the way Piper's teaching right now, if you're listening to him since he stopped being a pastor, he's doing a lot on the Desiring God uh, website. But he is on fire right now, <laughs> I'm telling you. He is challenging us right now. Church, wake up! Wake up! It's upon us. We're in a stupor. Wake up. You're in a war. Are you going to concede the battle? Or are you going to fight the good fight of faith? Are you going to stand with integrity, with the convictions of God's word? Or are going to sub, be subdued into submission? Look at, we're already seeing it, where the, those uh, Christians are being killed overseas by the Muslims. They would, not, they would not give in. So would I be able to do that? Are you thinking that way? Are you thinking that way? Or are we in this suburban, comfortable America where we're going to just be sitting here fat, dumb, and happy and watching the world go by in, in, this, in this sleepwalk, not focused, like it's not going to happen? And, and, and the younger generation does not think it's going to happen. They're, they don't even know the value of, uh, of war and, and protecting the innocent, you see, until it comes upon them. Then they're like, where was the law? Nobody wants authority. Everybody wants anarchy until something happens to them. You see what I mean? Then they want it. But meanwhile, we're letting their judgment of being eclectic and, and inclusive and, and no absolute authority affect us, aren't we? Affect us. We need to speak up what's right and let the Word of God speak to what in our hearts, our conscience. We have the conscience on our side, don't we? That when you speak truth, we know that it won't return void because God will bear weight of truth in the heart of the conscience. Now there's hardened consciences. I'll leave that work up to God. But will we be the preacher? Will we be the one that can speak this way? You see, this is the one we got before us. We're in a war. This is a war. You see, and it takes work. It takes diligence. So I'm preaching my message ahead of this thing. So, but I'm trying to get our minds right for what we're in. You see? But Timothy was told this. Be you therefore my son, beloved child, be strong in the grace that is in what? Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be strong in the grace of God? Be strengthened. Be strong. And dunama. And dunamu. I'm not a Greek scholar, so if you think I, I, I'm Greek. But I'm just, I, I got a Strong's. So I look up the Strong's and write the word down, and I'll tell you what it says. <laughs> okay. But in Dunamu, means dynamite or explosive power. Okay? That's what we're to be strong. That's what the word strong means. Be strengthened, be strong with what? The, the dynamite power of God. Now, here's, here's what Jerry Bridges uh, says in his explanation. What, of, of how to be strengthened or be strong. Grammatically, Paul's words, be strengthened, be strong in, are in the form of what we may call a passive imperative. The passive voice indicates something done to us, not, not by us. While the imperative mood is used to command someone to do something, when we want someone to do something, we ordinarily use the active voice, not the passive. Paul's words, be strengthened, indicate that something is to be done to Timothy. 
He's to be strengthened by something outside himself. That something is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now right here, it seems like, okay then. I'll just wait for God to move and then whatever I do is what he wants me to do, right? I mean, in a sense that's right. That's what the language teaches. Because now if I'm the one doing it, who's doing it? I'm doing it in my flesh, aren't I? And for my own motive and reasons, okay? So the idea is that there is something being done. Now, how does this work in our Christian life? There's this tension there. Okay, if God's doing it to me, then what, do I, what am I supposed to do? And I like the way Kenneth Wiest, he's a Greek scholar, and you know, there, he's got this volume of books, but it's, he said this. Paul issues this important directive as a command, not a suggestion, to be carried out continually. Timothy is to be like a vessel and to allow the Lord to fill him with his power and strength. So you pour something in a vessel, right? And that's what, what usually happens. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. Remember that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4.6. And that when we are weak in our human strength, then and only then are we strong in his strength. 2 Corinthians 12.19. In Paul's weakness, he was what? Strong. He was made strong. Okay? So even though Endunamu is a passive voice, this experience of being made strong still involves cooperation. Of the one being strengthened. Still involves cooperation of the one being strengthened. In other words, the believer is not just passive recipient of this strength but must actively, continually appropriate, trust in, rely on, submit to, surrender to, yield to the source of strength that comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, it's not like it's just happening to you, although ultimately in God's sovereign grace, and I know in this church you guys will appreciate that word, there's a sovereign grace that supersedes everything, but I'm still held responsible for everything God commands me to do. Can you explain that to me? It's quite a mystery, isn't it? And, and it's just throughout the scriptures. I have more verses coming, you know, to, to kind of back up this idea. But this is the idea, that as, a war, as you have a war going on in you and the spirit is fighting against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, John Owen says, if you're not actively pursuing Christ by walking in the spirit, you are losing the battle against the flesh. Right? Because the flesh is active constantly. So if you're not actively memorizing scripture, reading God's word, praying, these are, these are walking in the spirit. You're losing the battle in the flesh. That's why discipline is the reason, for, is the purpose for godliness. We need to be disciplined for the purpose of godliness. Okay? So what is grace? You know, the Greek word is charis. And uh, in simple terms, grace is God's unmerited favor and supernatural enablement and empowerment for salvation and daily sanctification. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Grace is everything for nothing, everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. What does Luke 17.10 call us? Unprofitable servants. Unworthy servants. We deserve nothing. That's why I think what MacArthur says we should be just slaves that are totally sold out with no expectations for God, from God. Right? Of the merciful kindness, this is what Thayer says, Thayer's, 
Greek lexicon, of the merciful kindness by which God exerting his holy influence upon souls turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles their exercise of Christian virtues. That's what grace is. It's this exerting power on us. That's the grace of God in us. You see that? Ephesians 3.8 says, To me, the very least of all saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, the deep, immeasurable riches of Christ. God, was, God gave Paul this grace, this exertion of his power to be able to do. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. It's, it's, it's his it's the grace of God is the Son of God, and Jesus is the atonement for our sins, so that's grace unto salvation. He's bringing salvation to all men. Are we saved by our own righteousness or the blood of Christ which cleanses us from all sin? You see, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And there was no other sacrifice given amongst men whereby we must be saved, is there? So we have this grace given to us. The gospel is the good news of the salvation that's in the atonement and the propitiation of our sins through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Look at the way the, the bondage of, of uh, this morning's testimonies were set free from the body and blood of Christ. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle against the world's system and the gospel of Christ. Two competing philosophies, but we have a superior philosophy, don't we? I used the word philosophy, didn't I? Because that's what we have. We have a philosophy, but what do we have behind our philosophy? The creator of the universe. He's the creator. He's God Almighty. I trust him to work in the hearts of people, don't you? So as I plant in water, who produces the increase? God. Do you believe that as we plant in water? That God will produce the increase. Do you have the courage to do it in the culture as you fight the good fight of faith in this warring world that we're in? And do you have the peace of God in your heart knowing that you have joy from serving him. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Now you have strength knowing you're pleasing God. I already preached the end of the message, didn't I? <laughs> but this is what we have to have on our hearts to give who? Those that we share the good news of Christ with when they come with the inferior symptoms of their worship style because they're falling into sinful patterns. They're living in an inferior approach in their Christianity, as we all do when we fall away from Christ. So I say we. <laughs> I include myself, right? Um, but God gives us supernatural enablement. And uh, I love this verse, 1 Corinthians 15.10 by Paul. He, he says, he was empowered by grace. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know who else said that? You didn't hear that, did you? I am what I am uh, by the grace of God, but I, I like to make a joke. It's not really too funny when you have to explain it. My wife tells me I'm a terrible joke maker. So I don't even know why I did this. But, <laughs> but I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace did not prove vain or unprofitable. But what did he do? He labored even more than all of them. Not yet, not I, but the grace, the supernatural enablement of God with me. You see the synergism? Not I, but God, but it's me, but it's God. This is what we see in Scripture, right? So 
I like to say you've got to do like it 100% depends on you and trust like it 100% depends on God. You need full zeal and energy in your heart. Okay? John 1, 14, 16 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, um, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. So we have this balance of grace and truth. You know, speak the truth in love, be gracious, right? I love the way that... Uh, Pastor Jim shared the communication this morning. Wasn't it wonderful how we can have poor communication and just body language and, and just the way we leave people with our, hearts at, our heart attitude and the way we communicate things becomes evident in our, in our body in the way that we have the, this halo data that comes out of us, you see. So I think our heart has to be really right before God as we try to communicate properly with people. But um, we have these divine influences on our hearts that God has made available to us through who? The Word became flesh. Jesus. Again. And uh, we are after Jesus Christ. So grace is summed up in the name, person, and work of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We introduce people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we do in counseling. And we, we introduce them to all the graces that He has provided. Grace upon grace divine influence that is inexhaustible and immeasurable right and so when people say it's not working for me where does the problem lie in God's, in God's uh, lap or in their lap they are just not appropriating the graces that are available right and it's rebellion of the heart it's a sin of unbelief you see that's what's going on Okay, so there's four examples we see in this Second uh, Timothy passage um, where, where God, through Paul, gave Timothy four examples, pictures that show us how to be strong in the grace of God. He uses a teacher, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. So we'll go through uh, how, to, how, to be, how the strong and faithful teacher uh, appropriates the grace that God has given them. The thing which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 2 Timothy 2.2, says this, Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he, he, we need to commend the things that God has... Uh, that Paul was told, told Timothy to teach these things that he learned from Paul to others who will be able to teach others also. Okay? So under these trials and burdens, we must still teach, right? That's what it is. Uh, we're to hear, receive, and then transmit the truth to others so that they may be able to pass it on to others in the future generations. 2 Timothy 3.10. A teacher also needs to teach in times of persecution and trial. Uh, Peter 4.12-14 says, Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Right? It's not strange to suffer persecution. What did Jesus say? In this world we're going to what? Have tribulation. But thanks be to God, I've overcome the world. Jesus warned us already about this. So we need to teach under persecution and trial, just like we were saying. 
How do we teach? We can't be intimidated. We have to have courage and trust in God that this is we're doing the right thing. Uh, I love 1 Corinthians 16.9 where Paul says, A wide effectual door of ministry has been opened to me. But he says there are many adversaries. Usually when the doors open, isn't, thing, isn't everything calm and quiet and you just go walk through? No. He said there's a wide door of ministry because he saw the sin that was going on where he was going to minister and he knew there was going to be opposition, but he saw the potential of the fruit and he didn't let the hard idea of the persecution come into his mind. You see, there's a wide effectual door of ministry there, but there's many adversaries. And he might, you can reflect on this. Well, I just got beaten and rods and, and rocks thrown at me and stoned. I went in that ship and they threw me overboard. You know what? I think I'm going to be quiet. I don't want to have that happen no more, right? No. Unto death. Unto death. Are you ready to die for the cause of Christ? We're living in this day. Wake up. Go sleeping church. It's time. It's on us. We're, you know, it's here. So... Um, teachers teach under theological opposition. Uh, let's see here. It says you got. We have to full. We have to oppose the false te- false prophets and teachers. Can I hear anybody? You know, it's in here. Can you name a couple false teachers that you would say are false teachers today? Okay, Rob Bell. What does he teach? Annihilationism. Many paths road to heaven. You name a heresy, he teaches it. And who is his favorite admirer? Oprah. Oprah! Now I know for sure he's of God, right? Because Oprah's been teaching good godly principles for how many years, right? For her to, to come alongside of him, right there, what are you hearing? Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. And, and let me tell you, the people that I, I can tell you, some people that I know, I know. And you know that will agree with him in some ways and think you're too harsh for calling him a what? Heretic. Oh, a hairy tick. <laughs> Using the word heretic. Now you're mean when you use that word. You're not a loving person. No, but what do you have more in mind than that person's feeling? The glory of God. Yeah, and truth. You gotta be truth, and who will be misled and go where? Well, now, now you got something to fight for, don't you? Is that your motivation to pull people out of hell? Well, then I'm gonna oppose the evil. I get a little belligerent, don't I? Do I look crazy right now? <laughs> Jesus did what in the temple? And he went. He saw the day before what was going on, and zeal for his house, he went home, made the whip, came back the next day. <laughs> oh, did you, and then what? Ran him out. For what? You've made my father's house a den of thieves. That's what we're talking about. It's not that i got to win a theological discussion with someone. Right? People are going to hell. And all i got to tell you is when you see someone you love die and you didn't get a chance to share the truth or you were too lazy and didn't spend the... you were afraid of their opposition, now what? you got some religious zeal in you to do the right thing next time. I've been around for a little while. I've seen these things. So I'm just telling you, today is the day of salvation. 
You know, you don't know if someone's going to live till tomorrow. And we need to keep those spiritual ears open. So, theology matters. The knowing and study of God matters. Teachers teach with unwavering commitment to the Word of God. What did Jesus say? Uh, he said, sanctify them in what? Thy Word. Why? Because thy Word is truth. Absolute, unwavering truth. And Jesus is what? The way, the truth, and the life. Isn't he? And the scriptures were here to give us truth. Right? And, and we need to be sure that we teach them about Jesus the truth and the word of God the truth, sufficiency of Christ, sufficiency of scripture. And we got to be careful when we're going through what? Persecutions and trials and we have our own little doubts about why, who, what, where, and when. The why questions, right? Rather than the who questions. Who do we trust in? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Right? you got to trust and obey. You don't have to understand. You need to trust and obey. And when people see doubt in you, and they start making you doubt, I had a friend of mine tell me he didn't want to get involved in a large discussion because he didn't want to bring doubt into my heart. Well, I thought, I don't think he can do that, but he could. Maybe he could. But still, I have to go then and be more resolved with an unwavering commitment to the Word of God. Right? Are you believing that it's absolute truth? Are we? There's a test when you're ready to go and go to battle for the ideas. You see? That's, that's the first one. A strong and faithful soldier. Uh, a strong and faithful soldier suffers hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffering uh, is this idea of, well, with me, Paul was beaten with rods, shipwrecked, inner prison, lashes. So suffer hardship with me, Timothy. Oh, thanks, Paul. Can't wait. <laughs> you know? What he was saying was, get into active service. It's time to put your, 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 your soldier gear on and, and, and get ready for battle. Suffer ill treatment, endure persecution, suffer misfortune. Paul commands Timothy to join him in suffering for the gospel according to the power, the dynamite power of God. It was, it was a command, not a suggestion. Okay, soldiers are long-suffering and enduring hardship. Soldiers often endure great hardship in their service for their country. Are we as Christians willing to suffer hardship in the gospel of Christ and for the kingdom of God? A Christian, here's a quote by Felix Neff, a Christian without affliction is only like a soldier on a parade. Not ready for the fight. A Christian without affliction is like a soldier on parade. People that are in the war, they're in uncomfortable situations. They're sitting there with bombs going off. Fear of the enemy attacks. Are you in that war? Are we in that war, people? Soldiers are focused in their warfare. Soldiers must have minds girded for action. This alertness. Watching and praying, sober in spirit and on alert. I love uh, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Um, soldiers must put on the, the armor of Christ. Ephesians 6.10 and 17. Finally, 
brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So you can't go to war unarmed. You got, we got the full armor. And there's a whole study you can do on what the armor does. And you know, there's all kinds of stuff on that. You know, it's not my place to get into that right now. But put your armor on and get ready as a soldier. And be strong in the Lord. Not in yourself. Soldiers must concentrate on the task at hand to survive. Christians need to be careful lest they be distracted by the world. By the world. We live in America, don't we? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? That's what, that's what the world is. Lord, help us. Or they will bear no fruit to maturity. And they will drown themselves in destruction. Soldiers are, devoid, are devoted to pleasing the one who enlisted them. Soldiers desire to please their commanders. Christians should desire to please their great commander, Jesus. Ephesians 5.10 says, learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's please our commander. Third, the strong and faithful athlete. 2 Timothy 2.5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules or the Word of God. We need to compete according to the Word of God. Right? John 17, 17. Compete means to strive, or to contend, or to engage yourself. Strive, contend, or engage. And you, you know, anybody who's done any athletic capacity in their life, Chris, you've run you know, marathons, right? You just didn't jump in there and, and run. I mean, you had to go and train and get ready. You know, so there's a lot of vigor and preparation involved with being an athlete. Okay? Um, so athletes are obedient. Athletes understand the need to abide by the rules if they desire to win. Christians must abide by the rules, God's word. Jesus calls upon Christians to observe what he taught them. Okay? That's Matthew 28, 20. So we need to, we need to stay by the rules of the word of God as we are going to be like athletes. Don't, don't have your own ideas and come up with your own vain philosophies when we're trying to counsel people about how to stay faithful and fight the good fight of faith. Right? Let's use the Word of God. Don't, don't be succumbing to the, to the vain philosophies of the heresy of, of integration. Okay? Which sounds good, doesn't it? At times. You can, you can be bought into the into the storylines of people's lives and think that they're going through something that is not common to man and that they just need relief through whatever, you know. And I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't be compassionate, of course, because we are just like them. We're falling into sin too. But I'm not going to lower the standard of God for my own life, so neither will I for your life. I can identify with your weakness, but I'm not going to tell you it's okay, okay? So, it's, it's, we need to be careful there. Um, where am I at here? Okay. We must be doers of the word and not hearers only who deceive themselves. James 1.22. That's my book of Nike verse. What does the book of Nike teach? Just do it. <laughs> when people are like, ah, I can't do it, I go, listen, at the end of the day, just do it. All right? And then, you know, you, you do it for the glory of God, but... You know, I, that one verse in, uh, what is it, Romans 13 says, we do it for conscience' sake or for wrath's sake. You know, we obey authority. 
Well, you better at least do it for wrath's sake. Right? It's like saying, I'm not going to get close to the edge in case I fall off because my conscience is so not wanting to, to do that. It's like, well, at the very least, I don't want to die. You know, and so I tell people, obey the speed limit for wrath's sake at the very least. Now, why don't you want to obey the, the law in your heart? Because you're a rebel and you don't want to submit to authority. You're just a rebel. That's rebellion, right? I hate going to speed limit. <laughs> it slows you down. The trip is supposed to be, and it makes it this, right? All right. Nobody else does that, do they? <laughs> Lord help us. Yeah, but it's a, it's a test. It really is. We all have these rebellious tests in our heart. Um, and uh, athletes must be self-controlled. Athletes know that ultimate victory requires great self-control. Should Christians exercise self-control any less? The strong, faithful farmer. He's a hard-working farmer, ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Hard-working, labor and fatigue. It means to exhibit great effort and exertion to the point of sweat and exhaustion. To physically become worn out or weary or faint. And farmers are hard-working and diligent. Farmer, farming is certainly no easy task. This, it requires labor to the point of exhaustion for reaping the harvest. Should Christians labor any less in the vineyard of the Lord? Well, of course not. Farmers are motivated. It is the hard-working farmers who enjoy the benefit of labors first. I mean, when you, you know, when we think about a Christian's rewards in heaven, that's a motivation. Now, it's not the ultimately, ultimate reason you're doing it, but there certainly is a motivation that to being a reward later on in life. So don't, you know, and, and a farmer will farm his crops and he'll eat from them. So there's a reward in that labor. Christians should be motivated by God's eternal rewards in heaven. Their labor is not in vain, and their hope is eternal life and the crown of righteousness. Life, I love this quote, quote it says, Life is the seed time of eternity. Life is the seed time of eternity. Are we planting? Are we sowing in a view of righteousness and eternal life? So how do we fight this good fight? Well, when we go backwards, you see the hard work, the labor, the soberness, and the diligence along with trusting in the power of God. You see that? That the power of God is being given to us, coming upon us, but it also see the mystery of how God wants us to be involved in this hard work, labor, discipline, obeying the rules. You see that tension in this? So that's why I'm trying to tell you we fight the good fight of faith in a way that we trust is it 100% depends on God and do like it 100% depends on us. Right? So how do we fight the good fight of faith? We look at the spiritual attributes of a teacher, soldier, athlete, and a farmer. But how do we apply these spiritual attributes to our own lives and the lives of the counselees today? We must recognize that they're a very practical, doable approach in being strong in the grace of God and fighting the good fight of faith. Philippians 2.12 and 13 says what? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Colossians 1.29 says, And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. You see this? This synergistic mystery. So this is the mystery of the synergism of us and God. So now what are the practical ways for us to do this? 
First uh, Peter 4.10 says, Each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of this manifold grace of God. So we need to be the good steward of all the many graces, of the spiritual gifts that God has given you, probably one or more. And then there's the other graces involved in whatever he's provided in, in his immeasurable amount of provision and influence in our life to do what he's called us to do. You see, they're, they're unfathomable riches, grace upon grace. We have every resource made available to us to do what God wants us to do, right? So we have no excuses. If, it, if it's not working, whose fault is it? It's our fault. He's given us everything we need. John 1.16 says, For of his fullness, or abundance, we have all received grace upon grace. Many influences, okay? So we need to learn to be strong in what? The grace of God's word. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the vision of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's be strong in that grace. Okay? Be strong in the grace of prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will dwell in your heart through Christ Jesus. Let's be strong in that grace. Right? Be strong in the grace of Christian fellowship. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, but encouraging one another. Fellowship, encouraging and stimulating one another, just like we're doing here. We're doing it to each other, right? Let's be strong in that grace. Be strong in the grace of trusting the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will direct our paths. We have trust and confidence, security in Christ. Let's be strong in that grace. Be strong in the grace of fighting the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Be strong in this ability to fight. Be strong in this strenuous zeal of, of Christian doctrine. Be strong in it. That means that you've got to study you need to take the word, go with you, involve yourself with something, and prepare and do. Right? That's what that means. Right? Um, be strong in the grace of walking by faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.7. So when you're perplexed and you don't understand it, be strong. I'm walking through that right now. Be strong in the perplexity of Habakkuk, you know, and Jonah. Who else? You know, there's many. Job, right? Let's be strong in the grace of walking by, by faith and not by sight. Be strong in the grace of depending on God's mercy. Romans 9.16 says, So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on who? God who has mercy. So let's be strong in that grace. Be strong in the grace of disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness. But, ha but have nothing, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for old, only old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for this present life and to life to come. So let's be strong in that grace. Amen? 
Be strong in the grace of living in the Spirit and not the flesh. You know, living in the Spirit is what? Reading God's Word, prayer, fellowship. Romans 8, 12, and 14. I use this verse a lot. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. You must die in the flesh. But if you are by the Spirit, if, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit are sons of God. Let's be strong in being led by the Spirit, reading God's Word, prayer, fellowship, you see. Let's be strong in the grace of refusing to carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. You know, and, and I think, you know, what we have to learn is that we need to mortify and put to death the flesh and kill it. Let's be strong in that grace. Be strong in the grace of putting on the spiritual armor, as was stated earlier. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to read that first, but arm yourself for the spiritual battle. Let's just arm ourselves for the spiritual battle. Let's be strong in the armor that God provides. Be strong of being in the grace of being able to resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, Submit therefore to God, and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right? Obey God, submit to Him, and the devil will flee from you. Let's be strong in that grace that's provided to us. Be strong in the grace of being able to be pure in heart. For Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? They'll see God. You know, I, some people I counsel, when they start repenting, they say, Boy, I, can, I understand the Bible now. And it's like, yes, because you're pure in heart and you're seeing God. And that's what you need to do is taste and see that the Lord is good. But we don't taste enough of God, do we? We have so much sin in our hearts, we're not living with purity. Lord, help us to be strong in the grace of a happy, clear conscience. Let's adore God and love Him over our lust. Be strong in the grace of being able to be thankful in all circumstances. In everything it says, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 And everything means everything. You know, if you, if you do a Bible study on this word everything, you know, my wife was just going through horrible cancer surgery. Well, she's clear with cancer, but she's being thankful with all the trials that she's gone through. And I watched her with so much burden on her with what she's going through. She's the, the one person, I'm crying now, see, the one person said, uh, he goes, you're the kind of Christian that my mother talked about. She did not even witness the name of Jesus. She lived it out. And they were asking about Jesus. You see. So, um, of course, I was hollering Jesus throughout the, the lobbies and stuff in the hallways. So they knew we were Christians. They knew we were Christians. <laughs> She's a little quieter than I am. So, so uh, but in everything. Be strong in the grace of giving thanks. Because then bitterness won't enter, right? If we have self-pity, what comes in? Bitterness, disappointment, anger at God. People don't even know they're angry at God. See? Be strong in the grace of being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I can do it. All things. Everything. That's why if it comes upon you, He'll give you the grace to deal with it. Okay? Be motivated by the grace of fighting by faith. 
for the glory of God. Kind of a concluding component here. See, we were created for God's glory, weren't we? To fame his name. Now, can you make Christ, can you make God more famous than he already is? No. It's an honor and privilege to reflect his glory that he uses us in that manner. So let's be motivated by that. Now, why did God create us? Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. God created us for his glory. What glorifies God? Our faith glorifies God. It says in Romans 4.20 that, uh, that with respect to the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Grew strong in faith, but give glory to God. And this word waver is a prize fighting term where you're in a fight and you get whacked and then you're ready to fall over. But you don't waver. You take, it, you take the fight well and you stand firm. You don't waver in unbelief. Okay? And give glory to God. See, a quote by uh, Precepts Austin is this. Faith is not full understanding, but full trust. Full trust. We overcome the world by faith because faith is the victory. 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith overcomes the world. We were created for God's glory. And our faith overcomes the world. And our faith speaks into the hearts, into others' hearts for the glory of God. Hebrews 11:4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, his, he, his faith still speaks. Our faith speaks into the hearts of other people. You know, you, you, know, you hear Desiring God, they got a, a teaching on there called uh, Faith Speaks, and they use this verse, Hebrews 11:4. Will your faith speak in the hearts of people by the way you live, the way my wife testify to Christ in her actions. Because our actions are who we are. And they speak louder than the words that come out of our mouth, don't they? Will our faith speak in the hearts and bear witness to Christ in that way? That's the power of the gospel. You can't, they can't deny that, you see. They can't deny that. Everything we do, we do for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 31. So, so with faith, questions. So what faith assignments has God given to you? What faith assignments has God given to your counselees? Are you, they, willing to accept them? With thanksgiving? <laughs> Are you, they, willing to fight the good fight of faith and glorify God through the faith assignments? Because that's why God created us. To live by faith. It's the victory. It speaks in the people's hearts. Right? That's where I said in Hebrews 11.30 then, men of whom the world was not worthy, they gained approval through their faith. Faith is the victory. Gain approval. Be ready for the war. Have glory of God. Have peace of God in this time. Have peace of God. Transformation, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies 
a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed or metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Will we be, like 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. With the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me that day, not only me, but all who have loved his appearing. Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant. Will he? I hope so. We need to strive for the glory of God. Contend. Not be easily tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by any persecution. Amen? Westminster Confession says, Chief end of man, it's up there, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And, and John Piper, I like the way he said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him, which shows the supremacy of Christ in our life. In all things, not after the trial, because it's too late. Too late. You missed it. You missed the opportunity. Right? Do it in the trial. That's where the glory of God is. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I give you thanks for this time. May your word not return void. I pray, Lord, that we were all stimulated by your word today, Father, that we can be able to fight the good fight of faith, finish the race. Help us, Lord, with counselees or anyone we encounter to have such a confidence in you and your word, the sufficiency of you and your word, Lord, that we are unwavering, immovable, Lord, to be able to stand firm in these last days, Lord, where false doctrine. And the evil one wants to prevail with world forces and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, Lord. Help us not to fight a fight that's, that's, that's with the gospel, the good news of you, Jesus Christ, who can transform and change a life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Praise God. He's good. All right. Oh, I gotta get I gotta get unhooked here. <laughs> That's what you're after. Oh boy. What did I do here? There's that.